If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a narrowly dodged catastrophe, and here's why. In this episode, we're going to find some answers to how would we handle a gargantuan boss monster? And what do a demon, an eldritch horror, and a tarasque have in common? And how can we add dynamic stages to combat to avoid the big, bad combat slog? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm Godzilla. <laughs> I'm Jordan. I'm his brother, Jordan. But my first Godzilla ever was actually the family dog when we were kids. <laughs> That's going to need some explanation, <laughs> some clarification, but thanks. Well, w the point is we've been role playing since before we knew what it was with these tiny little rubber figurines that looked a little bit like children that I don't know if we like found them or... I really, yeah, whether they came from a 25 cent machine or yeah, yeah. where we got them from. But in our heads, of course, we turned them into shrunken versions of ourselves, tackling problems way larger than ourselves, like the family dog. And the scale was heroic. It was huge. It was, I don't know, there was something about, yeah, that scale difference or that size difference that really makes things feel truly epic. Yeah where nothing that you are capable of doing can even get this thing's attention. Yeah, yeah. It means that we've been role-playing for longer than we think we've been role-playing, really. I mean, I'm cresting 40, and I still play with tiny figures, except they have a battle mat now. <laughs> <laughs> a few more rules. Yeah, and it's not in the woods. Completely separately, we've also been playing a great game with some of our wonderful Discord members lately. And it is building up to one hell of a climax. And we can kind of tell that there's a lot of pre-planning that's gone into this. And it always needs to, to pay off a world-ending baddie. We have all of the support and all of the feels for our wonderful GM. And definitely have respect for that kind of pressure that you would feel to make sure that a climax of this proportion feels as epic as it should and it's not one of those kind of events that you can approach super casually and just like slap down a stat block and go let's see how this plays exactly there's such a difference between saying this is our gargantuan monster from the book and seeing a horrifying creature cresting from the ocean depths while it sends the world into panic as it's threatening everything that you ever held dear unless you can find a way to send it back to its watery grave. Right. And that only comes from some, some prep. A yeah. A bit of prep. So in our last episode, we actually detailed out a whole bunch of little steps that we would take if we were planning out a massive boss monster. We will certainly recap those steps in this episode, but this episode really kind of came down to Maybe putting our money where our mouth is. How would we plan out and execute using those same steps? And we want to show that it really doesn't take that long. Like we 
we worked through the three scenarios that we talked about and came up with something that feels pretty good for each. Because the whole point of the podcast is that Creative Confines help us a lot with all of this stuff. We hope it does you too. In this episode, we're going to highlight what we built with this structure that we introduced in the last episode in Kinship Camp. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. Okay, so to start this off, let's do a quick recap of some of those steps that we talked about in the last episode. We'll keep it nice and brief in case you already listened to that episode. And if you haven't, worry not. You don't need to necessarily go back and listen to it. You don't have to listen to anything we say. (laughs) So don't worry. But here we go. The first step was really in determining the scenario. This was kind of the linchpin of the whole concept, which is there are many different ways to use a giant gargantuan creature. The first scenario is... Using it as a force of nature, something that you don't fight, you just survive its presence. The second scenario is impossible odds. Like your normal attacks aren't packing the punch they usually do, but if we get creative and we find a solution, there might just be a way to defeat this beast. And scenario three is a terrifying obstacle, meaning it's super powerful, but so are you. And with some togetherness and some teamwork and some... A plucky can-do attitude, you could possibly beat it into submission. And some superpowers. Don't forget the superpowers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then we go through this, like, checklist of what elements do we need to add to keep the action moving forward and to give our players direction on what they should do. So the first one is creating a ticking clock. And we've talked about this a lot, but this is one of the major major necessities in any kind of encounter. Then you want to identify the party goal. And this is about the reason that these heroes are interacting with this challenge in the first place. Like what are their personal stakes? What's on the line for them? Then we need to define the collateral. And this is the kind of things that we can really throw at the party to give an emphasis to how big this thing really is. What can we destroy? Is it a building? Is it an NPC? How do we hit them emotionally with what is happening? Then we got to define the devices for success. How are they actually going to win this fight? And that's pretty simple, but it plays out in a lot of different ways. Then we need to create and define alternatives and choices. So this is A, what are some alternatives to their goal? How else could they accomplish certain tasks? within our overall structure so that we have some variation. And then the second piece of that is some choices. So how do we give them more choice within a pretty straightforward combat and sometimes even distract them from their goal, giving them multiple things to tackle at the same time? Bus full of school kids or a choice slice of apple pie? What are you saving? (laughs) I don't think you're a hero if you choose one. Next, you want to introduce your scale, and that's related to those scenarios we talked about, and it's that moment of introduction that will define how big this thing really is and really help push the party into what they're going to need to do next. Do they want to fight this thing? Well, if it's a mountain the size of Everest, probably not, but if it's just mowing down on people, that might be fightable. Right. So then we need to plan for our approach. 
And this is really about going through the checklist of all the little elements that we need to set up long before the fight actually commences. So things like our emotional stakes, the plucky kid that gets caught in the middle of the battle, we need to make sure that we introduce them long before. And finally, you want to actually design your combat. Define the tactics, environment, and stakes of each stage, and you're going to have something really rich. We typically use about three stages to do this. Now, again, if you want more detail, the last episode had that detail. But what we're going to do now is we're going to run you through three separate boss monster encounters with three separate scales with three different types of monsters. And we're going to use an Eldritch Horror, a Tarrasque, and a Demon Boss Monster. All right, so that first scenario, it's a force of nature. The one that fits the best here is definitely that Eldritch Horror because the whole point of that category, a cosmic horror, is just about how frail and inconsequential people are. The fragility of all of our man-made structures that we think are so strong and will stand the test of time, it will all be demolished in a moment. So the solution in this scenario is we want to mitigate the damage, we want our players to save what they can, and they should just generally be heroes to the NPCs and the surroundings. This is not the walk-up-and-punch-it-in-the-face kind of scenario. And some important elements that you definitely want to try to work in there are things like anyone can die. That's establishing right away that like the important people that you thought were going to be uh, plot armored NPCs, <laughs> they're getting smoked. Some of the other favorites that I have in this sphere, I love the, that kind of ties in with the shock and awe of like, fuck, I did not expect that to happen. <laughs> and the ignored experts. Like you always need the expert in this scenario of like, this is going to happen. And everyone says, nah, you're ridiculous. And then, of course, it happens. It's never happened for the last thousand years. Yeah. Why would it start now? <laughs> I mean, these all all of these kind of elements have ties in stuff like Godzilla, Independence Day, you know, those kind of epic level threats that nobody should ever just walk up and punch in the face. So you took a stab at this one, Travis. Yeah, and in particular, like, I, I really dig this one. I want to run it. <laughs> so what we'll do is we'll take you through the entirety of how this might play out chronologically, and then we'll go back to our list and start to check some of them off. So the party arrives in a seaside town. They meet a friendly deckhand who tells them all about his dreams of being captain one day, and he points them to the tavern. The party, of course, finds themselves in the tavern in the middle of a celebration. It's the maiden voyage of a massive fishing vessel. Finally, all our dreams as a town are going to come true. <laughs> yeah, though, the, the town will be pulled up from the gutter, uh, you know, from being a, a poor seaside fishing village to uh, this is our all of our hopes and dreams in one fishing vessel. And it's setting sail today. So they've been working on it for years. Drinks and joyousness all around. So I think we need to throw in some fun-loving drunks, some stout sailors. Enough that players are going to get attached to somebody here. Yeah, yeah. We need a couple of NPCs to really stand out. One of them, though, that I'm definitely throwing in is the one not having a good time, 
This is the mountain of the man, you know, the the typical town tough, the hero that everyone kind of looks up to is like, he's the toughest dude in town, but he's got a broken arm. And that's why he's not setting sail today. And he's trying to prove to the captain that he's got what it takes by arm wrestling with his non-dominant arm, everyone that will listen to him. <laughs> and this is definitely an opportunity to throw the party in there, have an arm wrestle, you know, typical tavern games kind of stuff. I don't think the captain budges though. Right. He's a hard ass. Yeah. Only the best of the best on my ship. <laughs> the PCs may step in to settle a bar brawl over it, maybe. This is another opportunity to introduce and get them kind of invested in the town itself and some of the dynamics. So then, before the ship is christened, an old panicked-looking lady, arms full of papers and charts, approaches the crowd who's just about to smash the, the old wine bottle on the prow. Sure. And before it launches, screaming that today is not the day. Her calculations and translations point to the return of the deep one. Could be nigh. Shut up. We're going. <laughs> She's the, the town kook. And of course, all of her ravings get dismissed. But she's insisting that wait, wait until I figure out, uh, until I perfect my incantations of sending it back from whence it came. And of course, there's nothing there. So the entire town is just like, you raving loon. Listen, new potty in town. This woman's been claiming this bullshit for the last 10 years. Don't listen. Yeah, the party maybe interacts with her, gets to know her. She tries to convince. Of course, the party's going to, you know, know. We know inherently that something <laughs> bad is going to happen. This yeah. is just all set up. So they're obviously going to believe her, but nobody else does. They launch this ship. And as the ship moves into the horizon, a gruff old timer mentions buried treasure off the coast in a shipwreck that he'd like to uh, to hire the party to find. Mm. Kind of focusing the party trying to dissuade maybe their fears of something attacking. And as these kind of engagements are going on, a storm begins to coalesce 10 kilometers out to sea. That's normal. Nothing concerning about that. Yeah, it went from sunny day to <laughs> <laughs> horrible roiling seas. Look, we're sea folk, and this doesn't frighten us off yeah. of our task. So then the party notices the sailor with an, his arm in a sling is standing chest deep in the water that's crashing onto this black sand beach. He's watching the storm roll in. Could be just his thing. Yeah. You never know. Kind of weird behavior, but who knows? And then the sea really starts heaving and the party maybe sees something standing slightly in front of him, but his bulk is obscuring what that is. Maybe just a friend. Then we see his head explode. <laughs> that escalated quickly yes because the party then glimpses a wriggly little tentacle in his neck hole as his body limply sloughs into the waves uh oh time <laughs> so at that moment a mountain surfaces in the darkness of the storm at sea it's humongous and it spreads gargantuan wings and opens its blood red eyes and it dwarfs the fishing vessel that is now Far on the horizon, far off mutterings from the monstrosity cut through the wind in the ocean spray, something guttural and low. And it summons 30 more squid-faced things 
ready to suck face and explode heads in the actual ocean surf. And they're not moving. They're just standing there ominously. Nice. The monstrous thing far out to sea starts to seemingly get closer to town. It's big. It's in the distance. Maybe we can make that like a little party roll to determine how close it is. Folks on the beach are uh, turning from celebration to desperate face-clawing panic real quick. Yeah. And just to sell that size and that scale and that you should not try to fight this thing, I think just the storm hits the massive Cthulhu-like creature several times with a bolt of lightning. I think that should get across that (laughs) we're not going to fight it. Right. So we need to send our party into a panic by rolling initiative. Now the townspeople go oddly quiet and their expressionless faces start slowly ambling towards the beach. Now they're headed to get their faces sucked and heads exploded. Wrong approach. One that I wouldn't take to this situation personally. And I think we send the party as well. So the party is under some kind of transfiction. Right. And they can roll to break it. And I think we'll just let the first person that rolls, you know, the highest roll gets to to break this kind of trance that they're in. Or you go round by round, you know, closer they get, the worse kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah. And so the first kind of phase of this combat is really them trying to wake each other up from the trance, save each other. Then things become more intense as many of the townspeople are standing in the surf. They're getting really close. So does the party try to save some of them with some of their turns? These squid-faced things are attached to a few already. The more connections they've made, the harder these choices are going to be. And now we need to introduce some of those NPCs that they've already built a small connection with. So that plucky deckhand, the bartender, uh, a few other people are standing in the surf. They could still be saved, though. And so with each one of the rounds of combat we can give our party an option to try to grapple them and pull them away. I'm thinking even one of the party members in their trance maybe stumbles through fire and gets like burnt a little bit, but that snaps them out of the trance. So now we've given them a mechanic to wake others up with, you know, just a quick singe. Nice. Just a torch in the face. Yeah. (laughs) No harm, no foul. But then we need to really shake things up by throwing, again, scale. We have the monster out at sea continue to get closer. Now it's got the fishing vessel in its hand and it throws it back at town, just completely decimating the battle map. And enhancing it, some would say. With that boat, we need to flatten some of the townspeople. We're going for shock and awe landing between the party and the ignored expert. And now that expert, they did mention that they were working on some kind of incantation to send it back from whence it came. Can they save her before she gets her head exploded by one of these squid face things? And I'm thinking at that point, they originally were dismissive of the party, but now there's enough of the party and they're trying to get some of the other NPCs out of harm's way. Now they come in and they start to engage with the party. So we've got some of them ready to fight. We're giving more choices. We're giving more options. And yeah, they just keep coming ashore. The monster's coming closer. Escape. Right. 
and it's almost a countdown timer to can they get the incantation off do they need to just run there's a lot of possibilities here that allow for a continuation of the story beyond just it wins and destroys everything right away let's stop there and let's run through all of the little pieces that we know we now have in there so we've got the ticking clock basically people are getting eaten one at a time and the beast is getting closer so the longer they take the more people get their heads exploded. Right. We got the party goal. Stop the expert from <laughs> getting destroyed by these creatures. Right. Yeah, like that seems to be potentially the only way to stop this thing. We know that the party is feeling awfully small in this moment. So they're not going to try and beat the giant monster. They might try to fight one or two of the smaller things standing in the surf. The collateral here is the town, the people on the beach, um, any of the other ships that this town relies on for their livelihood. Probably most importantly, the NPC lives. Yeah, those are definitely the collateral. I think the tavern gets smashed for sure with another boat getting hurled at the beach. So like we know that they need to run because this thing is hucking stuff from the seafloor and, you know, yeeting boats at the town. Eating other sea monsters. <laughs> Just a kraken <laughs> flies ashore and splats on the town. That could be pretty epic, actually. I'm into that. Yeah. So then we need to define the devices for success. As we mentioned, we've got the fire to wake other NPCs, and we've kind of got the stay ahead and escape with as many NPCs as we can. Even if the party is extremely selfish and just runs away on their own. We've well broadcast what the point of this encounter really is. Yeah, and if, if they do that straight away, then you can at least make an encounter where they're dodging ships that are yeah. being hucked to land or something like that. We've got some alternatives and choices in there with which NPC to save. Some of the awakened NPCs maybe head towards uh, the fight and trying to save some others but are getting attacked. So we can draw their attention. Do they try and save some of those NPCs? Do they just escape with their lives? We've got some complexity of choice in there. The scale is introduced pretty well with, of course, just the, the size of it coming out of the water, but lightning striking it. Its ability to huck boats miles back towards town. Yeah. Yeah, if that doesn't sell scale, I don't know what will. Then we need to plan for that approach. So... All of the little things that we need to set up, we have to intro that hero of town. You know, with that arm wrestle encounter, we've got the loony old lady who is yelling very true but crazy sounding things at the party. And, you know, if that party wants to get ahead of it, they could even talk to her and find out a bit beforehand. Right, right. And we can reward the party for having done that by maybe having some element of an incantation or even giving them somewhere to go with that. Hey, uh, you know, I have the solution. What I've worked on so far, it's up at my house in the hills on the mountain peak where I've been studying all of this stuff. Like we can give them what is next in the adventure. Yeah, of course, lean into any of the party's wacky downtime activities and making sure that you introduce as many lovable NPCs as you can. Yeah. And then we need to define the tactics, environment, and the stakes of each one of those combat stages. Now, we typically approach this in three totally separate stages. So the first stage being dismissal of really kind of dismissing the party as potential heroes or solutions. So 
they're just breaking free of that trance just like everyone else. You know, each one of the NPCs that they break free from their trance is great. And we can let the highest roll free. You know, we figured out how to get them out of it. And now it's just about making sure that the entire party has their autonomy. That is stage one. Stage two is saving everyone that the party can throughout all of the chaos from the monsters sucking people's heads off or the boats hitting or, you know, even add complications here galore. Fires erupting, whatever you need to to make sure that they feel that pressure and they're trying as hard as they can. Stage three is really all about those fish people starting to move ashore and starting to push the party back. If we overwhelm them with the number of fish folks, then we know that this is going to get really, really intense. Focus on saving people. Huge waves start crashing on the shore from the arrival of the monster. You know, there's sharks and jellyfish and fish people littering the battle map. It's getting buck wild here. You have to leave. You have to go. You have to save yourself and as many NPCs as you can. And stage three could also be about focusing on that incantation and having all of these things threaten their attempts to do that. Because that will serve as like a wrap up to this adventure arc. Whereas if you want this thing to threaten the entire planet, then running away is the focus and, you know, whatever comes next is going to be bad. This often will take over your entire campaign unless we give the players some way to concisely wrap it up. Well, let's carry on then to scenario two. This is the it's impossible odds. So your attacks aren't effective, but through creativity, and maybe some secret special weapon, we can survive. The theme and the solution here are telegraphing the fact that standard attacks aren't going to work, but there's going to be a clever solution. And whether you let the players come up with something, that can be really powerful, but it needs you to be a little bit more flexible, or you provide a solution that's going to to guide them and give them goals that they're going to feel really good about accomplishing. That's your choice. Right. The kind of fights that we're trying to elicit in this vibe is like the Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy where shit is just popping off, but it's through doing something clever that gives them the means to defeat the thing, not fighting it. So the party rolls into a fabulous desert city, the hometown of the party wizard. Towering red stone walls protect this metropolis of magical enhancements to everyday life. Hmm. The party finds a nice rowdy place to spend their first night, as they want to do, and they find a sorcerer, the wizard's oldest friend, rolling the elements around like playthings between their fingers while challenging the party to some gambling. <laughs> I already like this character. <laughs> uh, during the games, a couple of doomsday prophets cause a scene, getting themselves handled efficiently and effectively by the party, maybe with some help from the bouncers if needed, but you know, that calls for a celebration. Rounds are on the bar. Yeah. Which, of course, probably leads to a, a night of rowdiness. <laughs> <laughs> we need more hangover mechanics <laughs> to really hamper the party the next day. Good idea. Try Her saving the world when you've got a raging headache. You want a party? Take this. <laughs> Punishments. <laughs> so on that next hangover morning, the party is awoken by the clanging of bells, the shaking of earth, and a fair amount of panic in the streets all encouraged by the doomsday prophets confidently shouting that the end has arrived. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh boy. These bastards, they're up to something. Yeah. The sorcerer friend beckons them to the top of the wall where she and the party see the source of trouble. A head-splitting roar assaults them, created by a hulking form that towers over the wall, hungrily advancing. As the city's archers fire volley after volley only to have them scatter against its hide, it reaches up with a clawed hand to tear their tower from its base, hurling it against the horizon. Roll initiative. Nice. This is this is giving me some serious Godzilla vibes. <laughs> and the sorcerer yells, The resonators were supposed to keep it at bay. We have to get to my mentor's house to see what's wrong. She's pointing at a not-too-distant workshop within the city walls before she turns around to sling three powerful spheres of energy at the beast. They glance off of it, furiously returning to her to blast her off of the wall. Well done. Not only does the NPC that they care about demonstrate that it can't be fought by normal <laughs> means, but then becomes collateral herself? <laughs> That's the trifecta. And it gives a choice because they can go save her or try Ooh, to yeah. do something. Nice. I don't know how, how bad that fall was, but that's up to you. The quadfecta. <laughs> quadfecta, as we call it. Moments later, this beast smashes through the gates, only to be countered by an explosion of crackling red against its head. Yet another failed attempt at city defense. The creature moves in the direction of the offending cannon. Its path will destroy the workshop that their sorcerer just pointed out. To the left lies the friendly tavern. To the right, the party wizard's humble academy that they spent their formative <laughs> years at. Where do we lure it? You're a bastard. <laughs> After making that hard choice of what to do there, where to lure it, all the while fighting off prophets of doom, the party bursts into the workshop. A gnome spins around, triumphantly holding some kind of buzzing mechanical spider aloft. After learning from the gnome that the creature seeks to consume the city's magical source, which would cause untold destruction, and that someone has sabotaged the city's defenses, which are a series of resonators tuned to drive the Tarrasque away, the party is given a task. Lodge three of these makeshift spider resonators into its hide, and the beast can fall. Wow. So... Not only do we have this like very intense, quickly escalating series of events that they can be dodging stuff like falling debris as they make their way to these kinds of, uh, you know, signposts all the way along the way. Then we have the next kind of round of combat where they have to try to run alongside a Tarrasque. <laughs> And jam something in its skin? Yeah, which, I don't know, I, I kind of envision you could do that a few different ways. Like, once all three are on, it just explodes the Tarrasque, or it creates little pockets where there's weak spots now. You know, kind of like the, the Lord of the Rings style, like, one of its plates of armor are missing, now you can attack there. Right. So that you're still giving the party that chance to have a fight. Yeah. Yeah, I dig that. And that really depends on what level our party is. You know, what do we think our party can handle? But there's multitudes of ways that we could have the end of that fight really go. I love the idea of just like, you manage to stick it, and then it explodes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and you've got the entire time these damned cultists that are Trying to pick you off while you're... <laughs> right. Trying to ride this There Bronco. is so much happening in this. Yeah. And it is just chaotic and frenetic and, to me, really fun. So let's rip through that list. We've got the ticking clock. 
you know, that's pretty obvious. We've got the alarms going in town and then we've given them kind of the destination of like, if it makes it to this central source of energy, the town could, I don't know, be blown up even. We could drop that in via one of those NPCs to say, if the Tarask makes it there, it will cause an explosion that will flatten this entire city. Yeah, totally. One Tarask bite breaks the shell, the magic candy shell, and blows <laughs> us all the smithereens. Mr. Owl, how many licks does it take to get to the role of the magic center? One from a Tarask. <laughs> the collateral here is everybody on the wall, the expert's workshop, the tavern, anything that that wizard has worked into their backstory. I really like that because like, all of a sudden you can just mess with that wizard to your heart's delight. Right. And honestly, that wizard, we could give our party a grand backstory with them because every single party needs some kind of mentor, wizard, Q, you know, the Q character that gives the party the cool tech that James Bond gets. Yeah. That kind of stuff. You need that person within your campaign regardless of what you're running so the party could have years of experience with this npc totally and now this is the culmination of their storyline yeah makes it make much more sense why they're being chosen to <laughs> to do this thing right now working in the alternatives and choices there creating that mechanic that lets the party lure the tarask if they need to if they want to be the ones that choose it's very much like the trolley dilemma, right? It's right. like, choose the direction of this terrace. <laughs> do you destroy the orphanage? Yeah. Or do you destroy the, yeah, yeah. How did the introducing the scale work in that situation? You know, even in the town's defenses, we can have them, like you said, pull down an entire tower that is like a defense tower where they were blasting it in the face with ballista and all kinds of other magic cannons, and it just, it, it's not working. So that really gives us a sense of scale. And I think when you introduce it, just a pair of claws coming over the tower, wrecking some shit on the top of the tower, just seeing those claws grip an entire outer wall is like, yep, this thing is goddamn huge. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of it busting stuff apart just by grabbing onto it. Yeah. The town really acts as the scale. With the plan for approach, we can we give the party some experience with some of those three places that might get destroyed in this fracas? And then we've got the NPC that we really have to sell to the party. So, like I said, there's your, your approach, is what are all the things that we can set up? Maybe we can even give the party some experience with the resonators in advance. This is the these things keep the town safe. Yeah. It's a good thing we have them. If something were to happen to them, that would be bad. <laughs> One day till I'm done protecting them. And I've done a great job my entire career. I'm five days away from retirement. <laughs> so let's define those combat stages just a bit. At least point out the goals of them here. So the first stage, the party's just trying to figure out what's happening here and try to help stop it. They're going through their own actions and through the actions of the city. They're going to find out pretty quickly that's not going to work and get direction to stage two, which is get to that mentor's house and try to mitigate some damage along the way. And then my favorite is that stage three where they try to attach these mini resonators 
to a massive Tarrasque in the hopes of stopping it or slowing its approach. All right. Well, wrapped up pretty neatly, I'd say. Yeah, we've got one more for you. So this is the scenario three, which it's a terrifying obstacle. But together, this scrappy band of adventurers can possibly beat its ass. And this one is against the forces of the underworld. So some of the important themes and elements that we can kind of work in here is kind of the power of teamwork. We've got heroic sacrifices, juggling various threats, a batshit battleground, and we just need to make this as heroic and epic as possible for our party who are just going to go toe-to-toe with a demon lord. So I'm thinking a panicked messenger delivers a summons from the city's high general to the party who are resting easy in their, you know, I mean, this is for a higher level party. They've established some kind of cool headquarters in town. Right. They're famous. They've taken down a few, you know. Yeah. So they're chilling out. Yeah. And then they get the summons. And when they arrive at the outer wall at the north gate, they meet the city's uh, military leader and maybe the mayor and a few other highfalutin folks and they are pointing at a massive crack growing gouting steam and smoke a few kilometers from town is this like a normal thing or yeah it wasn't there (laughs) yesterday so a humongous demon is gonna crawl out from the crevice horns spines wings uh, all the typical things that you would see on a demon lord we're going to make sure that we Oozing pustules? Yeah, yeah, just like... Can I have some yeah, of those? Sure, you can have some <laughs> oozing sores. Ugh. <laughs> Ain't a demon lord without pustules, I always say. Fair enough. So with it comes a whole bunch of, you know, dog-sized demons, and they stand in formation in the distance, and it doesn't move. It just stays there. And a single little hunched demon arrives at the gates as an envoy and summons the leadership to parlay and discuss the terms of their surrender. Oh, thank God, these demons are surrendering. Yeah, (laughs) right? (laughs) Oh, that'd be great. It just says, we surrender. You look tough, bye. Yeah. (laughs) So then we've got the party. We're gonna send them out to try to use diplomacy against a demon lord. (laughs) Good luck. And they're going to send them along with a small detachment of knights on horseback. Just a, you know, show of force. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. They need, a, they need an entourage. Then the demon states simply that they wish to discuss the terms of their surrender of the city. And when negotiations on their terms fail, which they will, who Be- would surrender an entire city. Yeah, the demon lord's not going to have a lot of wiggle room in their discussion, I don't assume. Yeah, then the demon lord says attack and starts a magical incantation it's got that low guttural growl and with that a hundred keyhole portals arranged in a circle surrounding the demon and the party's location start to appear roll initiative all right things are popping off things getting sweaty literally yeah with all the steam and smoke so each little keyhole floating five feet off the ground begins to grow And what I'm thinking is, is that even touching these things is going to cause significant damage. 
So we've kind of got them fenced in with these, like, and we can even make them spinning or something like that. All of these hundred portals or, yeah. you know, a big flurry. That's yep. what we're after. Well, depending on your powerful party, too, you're probably going to have to make it a dome. I don't mind necessarily that some of them can, like, can fly, maybe. I, I think that there's enough here to keep them focused <laughs> on the... Let the, them just peace out. Yeah. Fair. One of the knights on horseback, I'm thinking, is going to ride through the battlefield and unknowingly rides into one, which teleports a small section from the middle of his torso to a hellish place. You know, kind of like a demon core sample. Oof. And he falls off of his horse. So we've established that these things are dangerous, don't touch them, that kind of thing. Yeah, some lucky demon down there is getting chunks. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> So the demon weathers these attacks from the city leadership and the party. So I'm thinking, just have the demon take damage. It's okay. We're going to get it down to like two-thirds of its health. It is focused on this incantation, which I think is going to send the signal to the party that this is dire. If he's trying to focus on this incantation, it means that it's going to get much, much worse if that's his priority. Right, we've already got an army here and a demon lord, and he's trying to bring more into the field. Right. So the soldiers outside, they're starting to get overwhelmed by the demons that they're fighting there, but as these keyholes start to expand, we're going to be able to see that there is, in fact, that army waiting on the other side. There are thousands. Oh, no. And every hit that the party makes on this giant demon seems to cause the portals to sputter and flicker a little bit. Now a handful of oozing, roiling purple monstrosities crawl through, and that while they're not super physically imposing, each one of them begins to conjure little sigils in the air from the ash and blood, and these start to bolster and heal their leader, but they are also very fragile. So, you know, the party can take them down. All right something to do yeah we're splitting their attention from the giant demon lord to using their action economy to stop these things from healing it right the detachment is outnumbered reinforcements are being called in from the city but they're going to take a while to get here the portals continue to grow revealing those thousands of other demons on the other side but i'm thinking also like war machines and all kinds of things if these portals grow big enough they can get whatever the hell they want through yeah They've been plotting this for a while. Right. Demons have got, like, what, thousands of years to, to plan for war? Yeah, I mean, time is irrelevant to yeah. them. <laughs> so now I'm thinking the portals have completely cut off access to the battlefield. They can see the demons on the other side. The demons, anything that is big enough is starting to come through. They're going to have to hurry up and finish this thing. So we're forcing the party to make that choice. Do they bide their time and keep fighting all of the other little targets we're throwing at them, or do they focus all their attacks on the Demon Lord? Yeah, one of the most classic and satisfying choices to make in battle. And I'm thinking if they do enough damage in this phase of the combat, the boss demon can definitely pause their incantation and just deal a one hell of an ass whooping on our party. Okay, this is like they're getting near the end and they need to deal with this little gnat problem that's been 
hampering right. them the entire time. It cannot be ignored anymore. This party needs to get its butt kicked. It needs some humbling. Full the force. Earth ruptures, causing burning air and jutting terrain as obstacles, and the demon lord is heaving, furious, and beginning to crack. We can add more complexity to the combat still and have more ash and smoke fill the battlefield, making difficult terrain. We've got lava flowing. We've got smoke that's obscuring some of the long-ranged attacks. We're just going to keep adding more complexity and more challenge to this fight, focusing our heroes to finish this big bastard off. Yeah, I'm imagining the heroes are all just like caked with blood and soot and yeah. and they're not looking rough and the demon's not looking rough and it's coming down to the wire. Right. I mean, there we have it. The party will triumph or they will fail, but we've got something that feels pretty epic. So in there, obviously, ticking clock, the portal's getting larger. That's, that's pretty straightforward. There's a massive force. The city's obviously going to fall if they're not there to save it. And you have opportunities to keep showing how bad it's going to get with each, you know, new thing that can be seen on the other side. Party's goal is very direct and powerful here. Stop the demon lord from doing its incantation. Shut its mouth hole permanently. We know that the demon's death is going to stop it at the very least. So, you know, get him. Get him down to nothing. Yeah. And we've, we've set this goal so clearly. It is the source meaning it has to be stopped, which means that there's not a lot of confusion that can possibly happen with the players. They know that there is one way out of this. And this is where, again, we're forcing a fight. We know that the party can take it. It's meant to go toe-to-toe. So yeah, there's no other creative solutions. It's beat the shit out of it. And every time they get that sense of confidence, like they're getting the upper hand, you throw another wave or, or beast or whatever you need to throw at the party some new complication yeah the collateral we've got elite soldiers just dying by the dozens with fighting these demons just outside of this portal realm which means again more ticking clock more collateral is dying you know we can even have some of those war machines they can see through the portal get closer and like stack up and get ready to go through as soon as the portal is big enough. The opportunity to showcase as much violence as your party is comfortable with, with all those soldiers getting torn apart. Really, if we want to turn over leadership of the city to the party, who is probably, you know, in the upper reaches of their level scale, we can have the collateral be the leadership of the city itself. If they die somebody's going to need to step up to be leader of this new town. Yeah. Demon War campaign sounds like it's on the horizon. Devices for success, like we talked about, this one is just kill or be killed. Yeah, pretty straightforward. We can define those alternatives and choices. We can create those little mini goals. We did that with those little oozy creatures that were making the magic ritual of healing it. So it is, do you use your action economy to kill it or do you focus on the demon lord and whittle it down faster could even come up with a way to uh decrease the size of those portals like right almost to fight against the incantation so do you do that or do you keep pounding right to give a sense of that scale you know it's just little things we do want our party to know that they can fight it so we can't go too wildly big 
it could be as simple as just like its hoof crushes a wagon or it's like eating someone as a snack. You know, it's big. It's like four stories tall, but it is something that you can punch in the face. Yeah, you can imagine taking it down with (laughs) a normal sized human. If we wanted to add something like a watchtower that they go up to speak to it face to face, that could give it a sense of scale that is both threatening, but also still doable because they know what level they are. They know that they can handle this. And because we know that the party's super high level, I like the idea of throwing in something like the city's defenses, you know, like a, a trebuchet or something, like throws a huge hunk of something at the demon lord, which it just catches. Right. Like yeah. you still want to showcase its power so that the party feels like a team of badasses going up against it. Yeah, I really dig that. Catch a ballista bolt and huck <laughs> it back or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Then we need to plan for that approach. So really... This is just kind of maybe leading up. We need to uh, make sure that the party has met and cares about the leadership of the city. Uh, Maybe some historian has talked about a demon lord that could be a threat. With all three of these examples, you're always trying to pepper in as many cared for NPCs as possible. Some of these in this case could be in that guard force or the, you know, the knights. Yeah. Yeah, somebody that they've invested in in the past. We just need to, I mean, we've got a whole history, assuming that you've actually played up to level 20 and you haven't just started fresh here. Yeah. Then you've probably got a stable of NPCs that could be joining this fight. Just get a Gandalf. He'll take him down, right? (laughs) And finally, you want to kind of plan out those stages a little bit. The first one sounds like it's, you know, very dismissive of the party, starting the incantation painting that wall of portals around the party so that they can't get out. But yeah, it's doing its thing. Stage two is really the demon starts casting some of its more devastating attacks on the party and really starting to kick the shit out of them while somehow maintaining that incantation. It's just like, I can kick the shit out of you and I can also keep growing these portals. And you want to push the party to their limits with this stage because the third stage is all about when they're going to finally get the upper hand. The Demon Lord's incantations are starting to become interrupted. They're slurring their words a little bit because they're starting to really feel it. The portals are beginning to shrink. The the demons are starting to, you know, fall to some of the knights finally. And the party feels that final push that they need to make to beat the Demon Lord. Right. I like the idea of it starting to to spout its best and worst threats, but you know that it's all empty at that point. Yeah. Yeah, where he still is trying to use some intimidation tactics, but like the healing isn't keeping up, the incantations aren't keeping up. Yeah. You know, everything's kind of, you know, I'm shit talking you despite the fact that you can <laughs> visibly see everything kind of sputtering in and out of existence here. Yeah. Yeah. So which one of these would you run? If you were doing this, like which one appeals to you the most? That's a very hard decision to make. I'm pretty attached to all three at this point. I mean, I I thought the most personally about the Tarask one. So that seems really fun to me. But like all of them could lead to epic campaigns or they could just exist in this little pocket of memory for your gaming group. I love all three flavors, like the unbeatable god from the depths, yeah. the demon lord all epic. The other thing that I really like about this 
is if I put some decent planning into this, then I can actually accomplish this in a session or maybe two. You yeah. Know, it can be self-contained within there. And the planning that we put into this was really about 10 to 15 minutes per grand boss fight. Yeah. I mean, we came up with those concepts very, very quickly because, like you mentioned at the beginning, is that we have those creative confines that allow us to say, okay, what is our ticking clock? Are we certain that that ticking clock exists in this? Have I given my players enough hints as to which direction they should be going? And I'm just so satisfied with the chaos that comes out of mashing all those ideas together. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, we hope that was helpful. I mean, go and check out hookandchance.com. We have on the previous episodes right up, we have all of those stages. I kind of want to build this into a nice PDF format at some point in the future. So you can check to see if that has coalesced into something, but we're already, I think, one PDF behind. <laughs> so I got some work to do. I'll get my ass in gear. I like our tactic of getting people to come visit our website by saying, Things might be there in the future <laughs> and we'll never tell you when. So just Surprise. check every day. We made something valuable. <laughs> but that's to say that there is already many different valuable PDFs there that you can download. That's in our resources section at hookandchance.com. So go and check out what is there or what might be there in the future. You never know. We don't know when you're listening to this. <laughs> and make sure to let us know about your epic boss fights and what what keys to your success there are, because we're always learning from our Discord, too. We're super excited to welcome our newest patron, Alex R. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yeah, welcome to the fold. And also, thank you to the rest of our wonderful patrons that helped make this episode possible. Thank you very much to Steve A. Sigma. Kaleidoscope. Skylar E. Deadman. Ninja Ducky. Sue Art. Blackthorn. First Law. Peacock Dreams. DM Thunderbum. Marley R. Time Warp. Dangerous Marmalade. Zach G. No Ma'am. Michelle T. Adlerius. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Nevermore. Thomas W. DM Natsky. Heavy Arms. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you all so, so much. Uh, we really hope that you let us know if you ended up running a boss monster like this like we want to hear what did we miss was there any key elements that we missed in that whole business and if a godzilla attacks we'll try our best to save you <laughs> thank you very much for tabletop audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode you can follow us at hook and chance on twitter facebook reddit uh, instagram places places many places and you can join the place that we hang out the most which is our Discord. Uh, that's where we have two hangouts a month, one for patrons and one for everyone. Please come and join us on those hangouts. We talk about some of the topics that we are planning on covering in the future, some really cool new mechanics and small homebrew tweaks have been collectively made on there that are honestly super impressive. Not to mention some of the projects that our Discord folks are working on. Yeah. Always fun to check out. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening and pay more attention games. to Prophets of Doom. <laughs> They've got important things to tell you. 